his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good evening, folks. 12 degrees in the Twin Cities, 607. Esme Murphy along with producer Jonathan Lowe. Are you ready for the deep freeze, Jonathan? I, I mean, I don't that, – that's a question you can ask every week here from the last <laughs> five or six weeks. I mean, it's it, – it hasn't really moderated too much. Right. Well, I and I don't – you know, it's supposed to go down really, really cold here. Um, we're going to have the forecast here at the bottom of the hour. It, it is amazing to me that the forecast is for that to be that cold because even though it was only in the high teens – the ice dams were melting at my house. And again, <laughs> they were drip, drip, dripping because the sun is so sun, high. Yes, the sun angle and the fact that you do have bright days, you have sunshine, the radiation right. from that will still melt and still right. melt snow and still melt ice. It's just that you get an added bonus when the temperature is, you know, upper right. 30s to lower 40s. And I was going to, we have kind of a, a steep driveway that's a little bit of a longer driveway. I was going to put some salt and chemical down on it because I know the cold, the deep cold is coming. The sub-zero temps are coming back tomorrow and the next day. And I was worried about the slickness factor and just, you know, what that would do. But, you know, I didn't. I, I thought, uh, I'll be okay. So I hope I hope I am okay. But uh, anyway, I do want to invite you. I'll be here for um, until 9 o'clock. But please tune in uh, to WCCO-TV Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. tomorrow uh, Mike Augustinak and I will be there. He will have all the latest weather. Uh, it is supposed to be very, very cold the next couple of days. Not quite the polar vortex of late January, but but pretty bad. And at 1030 a.m., we will have two guests that will talk about two of the key issues before the Minnesota legislature. Gun control, two remarkable bills passing a House committee, a big deal, uh, very controversial, uh, gun control and also legalizing marijuana. Yes, that is uh, being pushed for at by the, at the Capitol this year. But I want to tell you about this show coming up here. Uh, keep it right here on uh, News Talk 830. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about Homeless Day on the Hill. And as we go through this brutal winter, I, I drive a lot uh, in downtown Minneapolis. I also have been taking the bus because I had a car that died a few weeks ago. And I... If I if I catch it at the right time, I've got a bus route that works really well. And and I got to give a shout out to Metro Transit. If you've never taken the bus, as I had not for years, it's a pretty efficient system, at least on on the line that I can get. The times aren't exactly perfect for me, but one of the things that the bus goes right down Glenwood Avenue, and you see an awful lot of people who are homeless, and they get on at the shelters, and then they're going to you know workplaces. Some of the many of them do have jobs. Uh, and then, you know, if you come back on the bus, uh, you know, via Glenwood Avenue, you, you see them again. And it's obviously a problem. And you wonder how they make it in this climate. And it's something that I think we all need to think about uh, because it is something that uh, there are many, many people who are listening tonight who are not too many paychecks remu- removed from not having a place to stay. So we're going to talk about that. We also are going to talk at 635 with Nick Folks from Great Waters Financial 
Uh, talking about uh, the stock market, which has been pretty much more volatile in the past few months than it has been, and we want to kind of get a gauge of, of what uh, you know experts are thinking because there's there seems to be an awful lot of its uncertainty in the markets, also in the political world, certainly in in, in the international world. If, if that has a play in it as well. Uh, there are questions about interest rates, uh, where the housing markets are going. So we're going to break that down. Uh, that should be very interesting. Uh, Seven o'clock hour. We are going to chat uh, with an expert at the University of Minnesota about rare diseases and what happens if you or a loved one has a rare disease. What options do you have, both in terms of insurance, payments, research? And then the eight o'clock hour. There is always a tremendous amount to talk about with this guy. David Schultz is going to join me for the full hour. So keep it here. Keep it warm. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Santa Leff uh, about Homeless Day on the Hill and homeless advocacy and what we can all do to improve the lot of those that are a lot less fortunate than the rest of us. It is great to be with you on a Saturday evening, Esme Murphy, until 9 o'clock uh, in our 8 o'clock hour. We'll visit once again with Professor David Schultz. So much to talk about in the world of politics as I've said so many times in the past few years, just when you think it couldn't get any crazier, you have the testimony of Michael Cohen. You have the breakdown of a possible deal between the United States and North Korea. We'll visit with David Schultz about all of that and also talk to him about a lot of the things that are going on at the legislature. Uh, one of the things that's going on this coming week is that there is Homeless Day on the Hill. And this is something that, that is is very important. There And there's a new feel up at the Capitol, I can tell you that. Uh, as a democratically controlled House, you've got new leadership um, in terms of the Senate, a new majority leader, uh, Paul Gazelka, and you've got obviously a new governor. Senator Leff is the executive director for the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless, and she is joining us right now. Senta, thank you so much for coming on. And, and am I saying your name correctly? Yes, you are. And oh. thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Tell us about, because uh, I, I know a lot of the discussion here revolves around affordable housing. Uh, tell us about what some of the priorities are going to be on Wednesday. Yeah, thank you. So on Wednesday, we will host almost 800 advocates from most likely every legislative district in the state. And that's Wednesday the 13th, not this coming Wednesday. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, You're at, it's right in front of me. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Quite all right. We just want to make sure there's enough people there. So know that you have um, a week and a half left to register for this event. Um, and these advocates will be um, trained on how to talk to your lawmaker about our legislative priorities, which do span the full continuum from prevention and emergency services all the way to affordable home ownership and everything in between. And the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless is lifting up two really specific items along that continuum. And one of them is something called the Emergency Services Program. Um, and the other is an increase to MFIP cash assistance, which is Minnesota's welfare to work program. Okay. Can you break down those programs? Because I, I'm around the Capitol a fair amount, and I don't know what those are. <laughs> yeah, um, I sure can. Um Minnesota Family Investment Program, or MFIP, as I said, is our state's welfare-to-work program. It's a de facto unemployment insurance 
for low-wage workers who have lost their job and don't have access to traditional unemployment insurance. Um, this cash assistance program is available only to families, so everyone who's participating has children with them, and the cash assistance has not increased since 1986. So we're in year 33 of stagnancy for those families. And then the emergency services program, which I mentioned, um, currently has a state investment of less than $1 million. And uh, we're asking for a $15 million increase to that program. It increases the, um, the uh, services available in our existing uh, emergency shelters here in Minnesota. The vast majority of our counties don't have a fixed site shelter, which means that most people who are unsheltered and able to get to a shelter um, are being uh, sheltered and served by um, understaffed and under-resourced programs. Okay. And then what was the other program? Uh, those, are the, those are the two that we're highlighting, okay. the Emergency right. Services Program and the MSIP program. Okay. You know, let's – and, and what, what is um, – what's your read on where the legislature is on, on these issues? Well, um, so Governor Walls released his budget uh, late last month, of course, and that's a starting place for a three-way negotiation. Um, and Governor Walls has included a, uh, an increase to MSIP cash assistance at $100 a month. So that's in, in the starting position for negotiation. Um, the governor did not include an increase to the Emergency Services Program, or ESP. Uh, his budget does invest in a lot of points across the housing continuum, um, but just not this one. Um, you know, the House will be most likely um, pretty well aligned with what the governor's goals are. And the Senate may have some different priorities um, or at least uh, some different paths on how to get there. But I'll tell you that housing has really become uh, a bipartisan issue in Minnesota. I've heard leadership from both sides of the aisle talk about how home really doesn't have a party. Right. And as we've seen, our unsheltered count spike over the past year and see some really visible examples um, like the Franklin Hiawatha encampment over the past year, where some a lot of folks who have just maybe never seen that reality before were faced with it. And so I think that there's an incredible amount of public and political will to make real change this session. Right. And and I think, you know, as people here are listen to this, I think the issue of affordable housing, obviously you're you're focusing on those, you know, who are homeless, but it, in terms of the entire spectrum here, I think there is a real problem in the metro area for people who are low, even middle income, who, who are struggling to find a, a starter home or a home they can get into. And, and I think that's an issue. And, and one one accident, one illness lets you slide back down into that area where you really have no place to live. And I know that, for instance, Mayor Jacob Fry in Minneapolis, that was a big part of his campaign. Uh, there does seem to be a concerted effort, or at least people are talking about it. But are there any initiatives to, to kind of sort of rejigger our, our housing stock and our apartment stock from a higher end, which is great. I mean, it's it's wonderful that there are people who can afford some of these higher price units. But to to, to have a mix 
that also has those that are affordable. You're, so you're absolutely right. It's important that we understand um, both the reality and the scope of the problem, as well as um, the tools and solutions that we have available to us. And you mentioned Minneapolis specifically, and that's obviously a hot spot. Um, but for your listeners, I'd like for everyone to understand that this is truly a statewide issue. Um, 550,000 Minnesotans are cost burdened, spending more than 60% of their income on their housing costs. And so, like you said, just um, one crisis away, something that might be an inconvenience for me would quickly become a housing crisis for um, hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans. And everywhere I go, people hear me say, you know, homelessness is not a character flaw. It's a math problem. Uh, our our wages have not kept up with the skyrocketing cost of rent. Um, and it's also important for people to remember that it hasn't always been this way, right? So the problem at, um, at the scale that we see it today um, began in the mid-80s. And before that, when I was a little girl, we just didn't see this as many women and children and unsheltered individuals like we do today. So it's important to know that that means it doesn't have to always be this way, right? It's been within my lifetime right. that we got here. And the tools for how to get out of it depend on um, which part of the problem you're trying to solve. Right. Um, so that's why our legislative agenda um, that folks will be advocating with us on, let's say, on the Hill is supporting everything from like things like the emergency services program that serves homeless individuals and families, okay. offers them um, some shelter and support services. Um, some folks just need some rental assistance. Some folks aren't facing um, other crises outside of the fact that their job just simply doesn't um, cover the cost of market right. rate rent and other basic necessities. Right. And then, um, you know, some folks might be on their way to being able to afford uh, a first time uh, home. And so there's tools in the toolbox for each point in that continuum. We just need to be able, we just need to invest in them. Where we have invested, we've seen incredible progress in Minnesota. We're on track to be the fourth state in the nation to effectively end veteran homelessness. Our family homelessness has decreased by double digits, which is a, a leading uh, trend in the nation. Um, and those are places where we've made targeted investments. And you can see the places where we have neglected to invest in basic infrastructure, like our emergency shelters, like our welfare to work programs where people who have the least resources and the least choices, um, we've seen things get worse in those areas. But we know that when we invest, we make progress. So that's what we'll be talking about at Homeless Day on the Hill. Uh, we're, we're talking with Senta Left, the executive director of the Minnesota Homeless Coalition. Uh, you know, one, one story that I did recently was really an eye-opener for me. It was a story about during the polar vortex, which was back in January uh, when, when the temperatures, the actual temp, air temperatures were in the minus 30s, there was a church in the White Bear Lake area, Matamidai actually, that opened <coughs> excuse me, uh, their doors to people who were living in their cars at a rest stop off of Interstate 94 in the East Metro. And many of these people whom I talked to who were homeless, had jobs, and they were working. 
and they had no place they couldn't afford a place to stay and i think for many people i think and and for myself that story was really shocking to see that here the people are trying to work and they could not afford a place to stay and they were literally living in their cars it's, an, it's a rest stop and as i said uh, east of St. Paul, off of, right off Interstate 94 in the eastbound or the westbound lane there. Um, I, I do want to ask you about that and also how that contrasts with, I think, with the images that many people who are listening probably think of as they get off of the exit ramp or as they you know drive around, they see people panhandling all over the place. And I think that there are many people who have a problem with that, as as do I, or as you know, if they approach you know people, and there's a juxtaposition of of different forms of, of homelessness that that exists that that we're seeing, and I think for many people, uh, it's difficult to try and understand and, and and sympathize or empathize with this situation. Well, um, I'll say two things about that. The first thing I'll say is that the vast majority of people who are experiencing homelessness uh, in the nation and in Minnesota are kids, and they're really young kids. Um, So tonight, there will be well over 10,000 homeless Minnesotans, and more than half of them are kids, and half of those kids are under the age of five. Um, So there aren't any bootstraps to pull up with the vast majority of people who are living out this problem. And that is not visible to the average person. But I think when they hear it, um, folks know that they have to do something. And we can connect that. You know, this is where our greatest opportunity for a return on our investment is, right? It's our kids. Absolutely. Um, And one of the one of the initiatives that we'll be working on this year, and I, I think we'll have some great success around, is called Homework Starts with Home. Pretty hard to expect academic success uh, among some uh, kids who are, are sleeping in a car, like you just described. Or or, or at, at the encampment uh, you know, in Hiawatha, which has now been moved to, to a, a more sort of a, a better shelter, but it's still not something that's acceptable. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's warmer, it's safer, certainly. Right. The other thing that I'll say um, is that about 30% of our homeless adult population works at least part-time. And that's where you really get to the math problem, right? Um, a job at Target, a job at Best Buy, a job waiting tables or... Um, uh, working as a cashier at a grocery store, maybe it's not enough to afford market rate rent. I, I recently heard a story from um, an Amazon worker who was sleeping in the um, seasonal emergency shelter Union Depot site in St. Paul. And he said, it's not that you can't get a job, it's that you can't keep one because you keep falling asleep or getting sick. Um, and so housing is also a workforce issue. You know, our employers need workers who can afford to live nearby and who can be productive when they get to work. It's right. pretty hard to imagine right. uh, strong worker productivity when your employees um, slept under the bright lights and the frequent stops right. of the light rail right. last night. You know, the average rent, I'm just pulling this up, the average rent, the average in Minneapolis for an 805-square-foot apartment 
$1,457. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And and yeah. I know that the salaries, the, the, those entry salaries are not any higher than a million years ago when, when I was starting out. And, and that that was more like 600 And I thought that was a lot. But, yeah. but $1,400 for a square foot apartment. Right. When you do the math, it just doesn't add up. Um, one of the things that I was really proud to hear our now Governor Walls talk about when he was on the campaign trail um, was a housing wage. We talk about minimum wage, but at our minimum wage here in Minnesota, folks would have to work um, over 70 hours a week in order to afford a market rate apartment like you just talked about. Um, now, I've got two kids. If I was working more than 70 hours a week, I certainly wouldn't be home to help them with their homework, um, to nourish their social and emotional well-being, or to prepare healthy meals for them. Um, so there's there's got to be something. There's a bubble that's going to burst yet again. Uh, Minnesota has um, seen a real spike in our unsheltered population gone up, uh, I believe, almost 40% over the past four years. Um, So the need couldn't be more urgent. In our community, it's a matter of life or death. Um, And it's a statewide issue. Just because you live 200 miles from your nearest emergency shelter doesn't mean you don't need one. And so when we get our advocates together on Wednesday the 13th for Homeless Day in the Hill, every single lawmaker in Minnesota is going to get an in-person visit from one of their constituents, reminding them about the importance of affordable housing and all the tools in the toolbox okay. for every Minnesotan in every wow. community. So you, you've set that up so that every single one of the legislators is going to get a visit on this issue? We have great turnout. Yeah, our base is really large oh. and activated and growing, um, and people can register for the event by going to mnhomelesscoalition.org. Uh, at the top of the page, there's an advocacy tab, and you can register for the event. It's free to attend, um, but we do ask that people register because we do just that. We schedule appointments for everyone who attends. Um, when you arrive, you get a personalized folder um, that was created just for you, and it tells you who your lawmakers are, um, what room you'll be meeting in them with, what time, what your talking points are. And then, as I say, we also provide a program that includes training. And Governor Walls will be joining us this year to cheer advocates on. Absolutely. Well, that sounds absolutely great. Thank you so much, Senta Leff, the executive director for the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless. Uh, And that uh, date for the Homeless Day on the Hill is Wednesday, the 13th of March. Uh, Thank you so much, Senta. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right there. All right, folks, Esme Murphy with you, 631. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll give you some weather. It's going to get really cold. Uh, And then when we come back, we'll talk with an expert from Great Waters Financial about the stock market, what we can expect, what we should be wary of, uh, long-term trends, the volatility, not only in the markets, but also in the political world and the international world. How does that affect your 401k, your investments. All that coming up. You're listening to News Talk 830. Before we get to my next guest, I do want to let you know, um, I want to give out the uh, web address for the Minnesota Homeless Coalition and for their event at the state capitol on Wednesday, the 13th of March. 
Uh, MinnesotaHomelessCoalition.org. That's MinnesotaHomelessCoalition.org. That is where you can register and get information for that March 13th event at the Capitol. Well, obviously, a lot of people do have investments in the stock market. Maybe it's not a lot, but maybe it's a 401k. Maybe you're thinking about it. Maybe you've held on to a few stocks. Maybe you were lucky enough to have somebody. Uh, you, maybe you're lucky enough to have inherited some stocks. Obviously, there's been a lot of volatility uh, in the past few months compared with a, really a, an upward progression for the past uh, couple of years. But it's nothing compared to what happened 10 years ago. I know uh, it's hard to think about when you look back on it, but it, it, those were grim times in 2008 and 2009, uh, the, the beginning of the Great Recession, when the market took a nosedive. Joining us to talk about uh, this entire issue is Nick Folks. He's with Great Waters Financial. And Nick, am I saying your your name correctly? Yep, it's just like all the folks around. All right, Nick Folks. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on on this Saturday evening. Oh, pleasure to be here. All right. Well, let me, you know, and, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I think a, a lot of people were freaking out a few months ago uh, when suddenly things started going a little haywire. Uh, and they'd been on an upward trend for so long. But take us back to 10 years. I know a lot of people are probably going, eh, I don't want to go there. But there's a reason I think it's important to, to remember that because I think a- any single expert I've talked to, and, and I bet you're you're on the same page here, said you got to be in it for the long haul. So, so bring us back to, to how desperate and how scary those times were ten years ago, and and your take looking back on on what it all means. Yeah, so um, my take, you know that that ten years ago was actually it, it hit home really personal for me. It was one of the reasons that I involved myself in the industry um, because it was significant for my own family. You know, at that time when we went through the Great Recession, two thousand seven through two thousand nine. Um, the Dow Jones dropped by 50%. You know, the average 401k and IRA balances, they dropped by 40%. And, you know, for my dad, who had been working for the same company since he was 19 years old, watched his pension freeze right before he was getting ready to go into retirement. And he watched half of his retirement dollars disappear. Oh, gosh. And so, yeah. so all of a sudden, here he is at the end of the road, right before he's going to retire. And instead of retiring, he's getting another job to help offset the loss of a frozen pension and, and uh, a lost retirement account. So while we don't like to replay those things, it can, you know, we look around and three out of five seniors went back to work in 2008 and we see them all over the place, right? We see them, people who look like they should be retired. And a lot of it was because they were affected by the massive downturn that we saw in the Great Recession of 2007 through you know, and Nick, I'm so glad you bring this because I think the scars of that, you know, have lingered. And I think I think, you know, so many people were hurt by that. And, and the impact of that has been so great. I think I think you can look at and this is getting a little bit off your subject. But, you know, I think you can look at it. I think it's one of the factors that led to President Trump being elected. I think it's one of the factors that has led to many, many young people being gun shy when it comes to, to you know, putting down the money or trying to, you know, buy a house. I mean, I think the scars yeah. of that have, have lasted for families uh, through multi-generations. You're talking about your dad. I, I mean, it, it's really significant. And, and it's scary stuff when you think about that. Yeah, most definitely. It, it's one of those things that it's, it's a culture shifter, 
right? We had never seen uh, a housing market crash like that. We had never seen, you know, a dual impact of both the stock market and the housing market experiencing such massive trauma. And so it became, you know, somewhat of a pendulum swing for the next generation that they became very hesitant to invest in the market. And people became very hesitant to see a home as really a secure investment like it was before. Um, And you still see people feeling like, um, you know, especially with the market, but even also with the housing market today, people going, you know, when's the hammer going to drop again? Or, you know, when am I going to lose 30% of the value of my home or 40% of the value of the home that I've purchased? And how will that change my plans moving forward? So it's definitely a different world that we're living in today. Right. Um, in, in terms of that, and, and you talk about your dad, um, so he went out and got another job. Yeah. Yeah. So right. that was his biggest thing. You know, he was working five days a week at his same job, and then he was working seven days a week at Home Depot, you know, just stocking away extra money as he could um, to save for for retirement. And so when that, you know, that was that was a catalyst that made me go, I'm going to dive into this industry because this shouldn't happen to people. This isn't something that should they should be experiencing. And so Great Waters was developed to be able to provide retirement plans to people um, in good, bad, and ugly times that they would have security and knowing that they have a plan in place, uh, that they are in a position both in their investments and in their income planning that keeps them steadfast, that they don't have to worry about, oh my goodness, something changes, that's totally out of your control, right? And that was the crazy part. I mean, it, it wasn't that you people were doing something outrageous. The average person was just doing what they always knew to do. And, right. and so it became it, it became a, a prominent focus for uh, myself and our firm. Right. Well, and, and I think one of the things is, you know, obviously times are a lot better now, and many, many, many more people are working, but, but you know, by every standard, you know, wages haven't kept up. And I think there are a lot of people out there probably listening right now saying, you know, I'm kind of living paycheck to paycheck and I'm not really putting away much for retirement. What, what advice would you have to say, would you have for those kinds of folks uh, who, who are really working hard and, and want to secure a retirement, don't want to have to completely depend on Social Security? What kinds of options are, are there for them? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I, I think that we as just a culture just in general that we have to really think about in, in today's uh, day and age is that we have to almost get uh, blinders on. And what I mean is this, like there's a, there's so much of culture that draws you into living to the ends of your means, right? That in this, I kind of deserve it mentality, like you've worked hard, so therefore you should have. Um, so you kind of have to set those things to the to the side, and you have to un- and you have to say, okay, um, what is my my greater yes for the future that makes me say no today, right? Uh, why is it that you know some people purchase older cars, a depreciating asset, while other people continuously buy new cars, right? It's because some people are saying, you know, I'm going to say no to the new car now because I'm going to say yes to being retired at 65. Or being, you know, or having that type of savings or, or putting myself in a better spot. So I think that we have to, you know, regardless of what our wages are, we have to look at it and say, okay, well, what's a reasonable situation I can put myself in? And how can I even do things like automate your savings? You know, simply saying, I'm going to put in this amount and I'm going to live as though I've never had it because it's much more difficult to change a lifestyle than to never start a lifestyle. 
Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, we were chatting here with Nick Folks from Great Waters Financial. Nick, we have to take a quick break, but I'd like to ask you, you know, what what you make of, of the current market situation. Um, things were going just gangbusters and uh, there was the inevitable correction. Uh, and just, you know, what people should think right now, because it, it always makes people nervous when, when there's you know, a change. So keep it right here, folks. We'll have more with Nick Folks from Great Waters Financial after this. It is 648 in the Twin Cities. We're chatting with Nick Folks of Great Waters Financial. Nick, what what do you make of the current stock market situation? And obviously things were just going. It was a remarkable run. And clearly there were bumps in the road that, that you know, you blame whatever, but it's happened. What are your thoughts? I think that, you know, we all have, we always have to be prepared, right? Whatever goes up has to come down. It's, it's just a reality. Now, a lot of us fall prey to behavioral finance, which is, uh, buyer's euphoria, right? We get, we believe that the market has gone up and it will continue to go up. But, you know, a lot of the studies, a lot of the indications, a lot of the economists are saying that we do have to prepare ourselves for, uh, a recession that will be moving in. Um, not only just in the U.S., but really a global recession that we have to be prepared for. So, and, and this, that's this so. Will, so that's something that you're looking at as well, because that is that is what many experts ex- exactly what they're saying. What are some of the things that make you think that that is possible, even likely? Yeah. So we've had a we've had a bull run for you know over nine years. We had nine years. The market just went up, went up, went up. So we never really had any type of correction before. Yeah, you couple with that that interest rates had, were low, so it was interest rates were low. Stock market was high. Now we have the interest rates rising. Right, we have even the one-year Treasury going up by two hundred basis points. So that's pushing up the cost of everything. And um, then we have trade deals that are not being settled. So there's so much volatility, so much um, of a lack of clarity. And, and one of the things that the market hates is. Um, Lack of certainty, right? It likes to move unknowns. And, and there's so a lot unknowns. of uncertainty right now, isn't there? <laughs> there's a lot. Of when, wherever you are in the political spectrum, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, does does the political does that affect things? I mean, obviously, whether you are a, a fan and a supporter of President Trump uh, or somebody who really is is against what he is doing, I think most people would agree he is not somebody who is always predictable. Yeah, pr- predictability is a big part of you know whoever's in office, whatever political party you're you're a part of. Um, and then here's the, here's what let me tell you maybe why it factors in so greatly. Um, today we are seeing more and more people that are managing their assets themselves, not institutional investors or professional management. More and more people are trying to kind of grab the bull by the horns and say, you know what, I'm going to manage these accounts myself now. Herein lies the problem with that, speculation versus data, right? So when people begin to speculate or they start to make emotional movements on their accounts, you can see the market move just based off of fear, anxiety, and individual investors who are selling off when institutional investors um, or larger professional uh, investors are still hanging tight and they're going based off of data. And so it creates these waves in the market, unlike what we've seen before, because the speed of the market is so much faster in this digital age than it was, you know, a decade ago, even, um, or especially two decades ago. So that the, the way that people are setting up triggers and electronic cells, 
Um, all of that kind of has a, a massive impact overall on, on where people are at and how the market moves. So you're saying it's a lot more sophisticated and a lot more difficult to kind of read than it used to be. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's one of the things that, you know, we try to help people understand is that you have to be the re- one of the, the powers of having somebody who's professionally managing it is because it removes the emotional tie to it. Right. And it becomes a logical decision based on data that allows you to make a movement or to make a choice um, because if you can remove the emotional element from it, then you can you can help to, to stop selling at the wrong times, right? We we all know the age-old adage, buy low, sell high, but most of the time that's not what happens for individual investors. So it, it becomes a big point to make sure that you, you have a plan in place. Um, overall, let's say, you know, the market, we've got all this volatility. Um, you really have to ask, where are you at in regards to your retirement timeframes? Um, if you're young and you're still adding to the market, you don't even need to be worried about this because the reality is your dollar cost average is back into the market. So every time that market goes down, if you're still purchasing the same amount of your your shares, you're just averaging yourself out. Um, you bought some high, you bought yeah. some low. But the problem occurs when people are, are near or they are in retirement because now you're not buying it. What you have is what you have. In fact, you may be taking the money out, right? Yeah, so now, of course. <laughs> you're, sell, you're, you're, you're selling off low. And so that's why we, we tell people when they're getting closer to retirement, we have to dial down the risk. And not only do we dial down the risk, but we have to do what's called segmentation. we got to figure out what money are we going to use at what point in time um, to make sure that we have some money that's more for the long haul, but we also have money that's for today. Uh, because I don't want your accounts moving up and down if I'm going to be pulling out income streams from those and, and making sure that your life can remain the same. So making sure that you dial down the risk, that you have appropriate investments based on your age in this season is critical right now. And, and does this does that apply to people of, of all incomes, maybe somebody who's like, you know, more of a much more of a middle income person as opposed to somebody who might have a high income? Oh, definitely. It applies across the board. Across the board, whether you are middle income, high income, you have to have a plan in place, right? Because good, bad, or ugly is going to hit everybody at some point. It's just going to hit you with bigger numbers, more zeros attached to it or less zeros attached to it. And so if you want to maintain your lifestyle, then you just have to be um, aware of that and you have to have a plan in place for it. In terms of you know what what people are are doing right now, um, what is the most common mistake? I mean, maybe you've just touched on it. You know, be, you know, providing too much risk or, or maintaining risk as you approach retirement. But are there other mistakes that, that people tend to make? Yeah, there's there's two two big mistakes that we see often. One is people believing that what got you there will keep you there. Um, that the same investment style that you had when you were accumulating will also help you when you are decumulating, when you are taking money out. And that's not true. You have to be able to adjust, and there's different types of investments based on the season that you're in. Um, the second mistake that people make is paying no attention to their tax planning. Um, taxes are on sale right now until the year 2025, so it's important to make sure you have a strategic plan on how you're going to maximize your taxes from now till 2025 when these new... The, or or uh, minimize your taxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, really, it's, 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 kind of a, it's kind of both, really, right? Because they've expanded this 12% bracket. They've increased these standard deductions. So it's understanding, okay, how do I utilize that to my advantage between now and, and 
2025? What do I need to do to be strategic? And it becomes even more important when you're in retirement because uh, FINRA is quoted saying that the greatest expense for most Americans in retirement will be their taxes. Wow. Okay. And, and I think I think this is an interesting year to pose that question, to think about that, because I think a lot of people, including myself, haven't filed taxes yet and, and aren't sure how they're going to make out with these changes, because it, it, a lot of people are getting less back than they thought. They weren't they thought they weren't really getting that much. So it's it's all over the map from what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? Uh, the same. Right. We're seeing people kind of getting a little bit shocked because deductions they thought they had, they don't have. Right. Or um, the the ways that they've, uh, you know, for example, the state now being capped at 10,000 for state local taxes. That was a big change in people's minds. And and not everybody was kind of paying attention. So there were some assumptions. I've seen some people get a little bit of sticker shock and they come back with a a $3,000 tax bill or things like that. And they're going, oh, my goodness, well, what has happened here? so we're seeing it all across the board, um, the, and that's, again, one of those reasons that you look and you say, okay, do I actually have a plan in place? Am I, um, am, am I working with somebody who's helping me think through some of this planning? Uh, because that's, what, that's really what it's all about when you have somebody advising you, um, especially in this day and age, because let's be honest, it's not getting simpler, right? <laughs> okay. Well, listen, Nick, folks, thank you so much. Nick, folks, from Great Waters Financial, certainly appreciate your time this evening. Obviously, volatile times and a lot going on. We appreciate your insights. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, right, folks. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up in our next hour, we are going to talk about with an expert about rare diseases and what you can do if you or a loved one has a rare disease, what research opportunities are out there, financial opportunities. Keep it here. News Talk 830. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.